0: logical lesson, just one that really needs to resonate in each one of us. First of all, the definition of a church. A church is a called out assembly of baptized believers covenanted together to keep the ordinances and to carry out the Great Commission. I hope you'll get hold of that and make it your own definition. I want to tell you that by definition and by the teaching of the Word of God as you see in examples, each church Each church is to have a congregational government. That means that we do not have some Episcopalian type head up here that tells us what to do. Or we don't have a presbytery somewhere around either in our church, outside of our church, tells us what to do. But the church is governed by the people as a whole. Every member, every member has a voice. All members are priests. I hope you get hold of that. You say, I've never thought of myself as a priest. If you are a believer, you are a priest unto the Lord. I mean, he says so clearly in the Word of God. And you can go directly to God through Christ, who is our great high priest, who is now passed into the heavens, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. You, as a member of one of the Lord's churches, a saved, born-again believer, can go directly to God without having to go through your pastor, without having to go through your deacons, without having to go through anybody else. Amen. It's a wonderful blessing, just a wonderful provision of our great God. There is no church priesthood that has redemptive, and that is means it can get you saved or can get you lost. There is no church priesthood that has intercessory powers over other members. That is no persons or group of persons within the church that has power to hear your prayers and to pass them on to God or to keep your prayers from ever getting to God, you can talk to God one-on-one. Amen. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to do that. The Bible says so. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people by the way it's talking about you, if you're a believer, you're a member of this church here this is talking about us, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called us out of darkness by His marvelous grace. That's First Peter chapter two and verse nine. Every member, every one of us, can whether we're in this building or whether we're in our home, whether we're at our job or whether we're at our school or wherever we are, even on the freeway in the middle of a traffic on I ten, you can go to the Lord. And sometimes Amen. you need to do it rather rapidly. You need to do it yeah. on the spot. You know, just talk to Him because things show up that you don't expect. Here's Hebrews. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, these are addressed to all of us, these words are. Let me read them to you. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Aren't you grateful to God that our high priest, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, knows where you hurt? knows how you feel, knows your losses, knows what is going on in your life, knows even where you're headed, and you can come to Him for He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen. Wonderful. We're talking to somebody when we pray going through Jesus Christ to God the Father, we're talking to Jesus Christ who had no sin. Any mortal has them. You talk to Brother Darren, you talk to Brother Hudson, or anybody on this earth, including the Pope over in Rome, let me tell you, they're full of sin. they got their own problems to deal with. But when you go to Jesus Christ, He is the perfect high priest. He was without sin, never committed one, and He's the one who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Therefore, here's, the re- here's what ought to happen in view of who our high priest is, and that you can personally go to Him. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Two great things. We can get mercy when we deserve justice and we can get grace to help over all these problems that we face day to day that keeps coming back and coming back. You say, I'd like to get rid of this temptation. I'd like to get rid of this propensity in me. Let me tell you, your hope is in the Lord. He can help you. Amen. He can give you grace over these problems. Praise God we're not under the power of bishops or archbishops or of popes or control of somebody who can control our ability to get to God or not to get to God. I've thought about governments, and governments control a lot of things. You know, they rule a lot of people, and they can control the food supply. They can control uh, money supplies, and they can control a lot of things. Praise God, they haven't yet learned how to control the weather. (laughs) And I'm glad they haven't, because if they did, they'd use it against us one way or another to get their way. You know they would. I'm talking about our God here who is able to help us and who is good and who we can go to God through Jesus Christ anytime and we don't have to depend on a man who's got a personal agenda and might be against us and can keep us from getting to God. I do not want you to misinterpret what I'm saying here and I say what I've said with great joy and with great thanksgiving to God. But I also want you to understand that all church members are on common ground, common ground. Under the pastor and deacons and all the rest of us who are in there. We're all joined together. As a member of one of the Lord's true churches, we're on common ground. Everyone together. We're all simply sinners saved by grace. Amen. I look over this room and I see some good friends and some good people. But I know you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. You say I'm a preacher. I know you're one too. And I say guilty as charged. I understand that dynamic. I will tell you that every one of us are sinners saved by grace. However, even though we're on common ground in one of the Lord's churches like this one right here, every biblical church has a leadership structure, an ordination of God, a structure that was appointed and made by God himself of how we to get along. It's not like we're just out here, everybody's doing his own thing. No, we're to work as one body, going one direction, following the leadership of God, through His Word, and our pastors be our leaders showing our example. And then other leaders are involved in this matter of God being involved too. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul's talking here when he said that God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That's in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. In this same section He also explained why God gave pastors and teachers these other leaders. He gave these special members for number one, the perfecting of the saints, number two, for the work of the ministry, and number three, for the edifying of the body of Christ, which is what the church is. Pastor Simpson, who is our spiritual leader, our mortal today, he is to perfect the saints. He's to give us the Word of God, which will help us to grow in the grace of knowledge of the Lord. He's to do the work of the ministry. He's to guide us into getting the work of God on this planet being done. That's his role. And also, he's to edify the body of Christ. He's to give us an example. He's to give us truths that help us to function as one. Feed us the Word of God. Not get up here and just tell us what he thinks, but get up here and tell us what God thinks. I don't come here to hear the message that Brother uh, Simpson has. I come here to hear the message of God through his pastor that's why you come to church, and He has this role. So this is our responsibility, and it was appointed by God, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 here, it was appointed by God, the apostles and the prophets have ceased. When the Word of God was finished, the Bible, there were no more prophets, and there were no more uh, 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 priests like we're talking about in that sense of the word. No, there are no uh, of these today, but yet evangelists and pastors and teachers continue. I think really evangelists are, are missionaries, and I think uh, pastors, it's pretty obvious we have one here, and I think we also have teachers, and we have Brother Eric here, and those who are elder in years, who are elders in the church, who are in the teaching business, and every church, every church, including Northwest Baptist Church, needs leadership, They need these people who are chosen of God to do this job of directing the flock and keeping us on the same page. They're to preach and they're to lead and they're called, in fact, as we're about to see, overseers of the Lord's church. That is, they have this oversight responsibility. I want to give you some verses that just say what I've been saying. I want to confirm it. After all, when a pastor makes a claim, he ought to confirm it from the Bible. It ought to just be his thinking if he says this is what's right, there ought to be a reason why he would say this is what is right. So in the book of First, uh, First Thessalonians, by the way, if you go to mark a verse today, this would be a good one to mark. First Thessalonians in chapter 5 in verses 12 and 13, We beseech you, brethren, and beseech us beg. I mean, this is, a, uh, this is what pastors do. This is even what God has done through the apostle Paul. He could, God could force us to do things, but He doesn't. He pleads with us. I beseech or beg you, brothers, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord <clears throat> and admonish you and esteem them, that is, count them very highly in love for their work's sake. Again, that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It is so appropriate. It is so alive today. and it is so says what we need to know in this church He's talking here about your pastor. He's talking here about your elder, elders in the Lord's church. That's what he's talking about here. Another verse, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here are verses 17, 18, and 19. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Double honor, that is very special, very highly esteemed, as he said earlier. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. That is, who preach you the Bible who tell you the three teachings of the doctrine of the work of Jesus Christ. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, that says you really better be careful before you start bad you your preacher. I mean, there's somebody watching. It's not just the preacher, it's the God of heaven who's watching how you treat your preacher. And you need to treat him with respect. You need to love him. And this idea here about the laborer being worthy of his reward, liken it to an ox that pulled a plow that would eat sometimes of the, the corn or the stems or the, or the crop that was growing, it's an analogy saying that even an ox is worthy of his keep. That is, you feed him properly. You take care of an ox. If you have one, you own it and you take care of it because he's doing a job. The Lord is the one who used the analogy between an ox and a pastor said, you got an ox, your pastor who's giving you the word of God, he's plowing in your midst, he's helping you, he's worthy to be taken care of, he needs to be taken care of. Listen to this passage. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained. Boy, that puts some stout, uh, starch into this picture, doesn't it? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live the gospel. And then in Galatians 6 and verse 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate, that means give back to him that teacheth in all good things. Churches are to take care of their special men. Here it is right in the Bible. Also Hebrews chapter 13. Locate this place, Hebrews chapter 13, and listen to verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, Who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. That is lifestyle, that's conversations used to mean lifestyle often in the Bible. So here's the Bible telling us that we need to follow them who are leaders, that God has put, they're not popes, they're not bishops per se as such, they're the people who God's put in here to help us, to, to feed us, to direct us, to strengthen us. And we're to follow their faith as they follow the Lord. This passage continues in verse 17 of chapter 13, Hebrews, Obey them which have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable to you. If your pastor struggles, if he has some, some issues where he's not being taken care of by his, by his flock, then uh, the Bible says that's not good for the church. That's a bad thing for the church for that to have to happen. So then Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says, them that have the rule over you are overseers. They're your overseers. Again, not an episcopate, that is not a priesthood up here that you got to go through to get to God, but nonetheless people who God has put into a church which everybody has a vote to carry that church forward, to lead that church, to do the right thing and to serve God. So I say respect and high esteem surely must come out of us on a voluntary basis for those who lead us. And it's not difficult to see that God has put one who is in this position of leadership in that role and that it is a good role and it is a God-ordained role. Dishonoring and getting crossways with one of God's churches and one of God's leaders in God's church is not good for anybody. It's bad for the church, it's bad for the person who gets crossways, it's bad for the pastor and those who are leading. It's just a tool of devil, and he's used it lots of time in the history of our churches. I'll tell you, now through the centuries, in the New Testament, in one of the books of John, he talked about there's a guy named Diotrephes in the church. He has a self-styled big shot who's going to have priority and sort of run the church through his role or his place in the congregation. God says right there in that book of first or Second John that this is wrong. It shouldn't occur. It shouldn't happen like that way in, in one of the Lord's churches. I want to bring your attention to the book of the Revelation. Just turn to the last book of your Bible, the very first chapter there. And put a marker there as we walk through Revelation chapter 1. And in this place Jesus Christ is seen walking in the midst of His churches. The the second and third chapters and really part of the last part of the first chapter are three chapters in the last book of the Bible that are talking about churches and about church government and church beliefs and church performance and what's good and what's not good. And so in this uh, introduction to the churches, which is the latter part of chapter 1 here, Jesus Christ is actually pictured walking among His churches. Wow. And He is holding the pastors who are called stars in His right hand. You will see that in verse uh, in, in, in verse 16. I want you to get the imagery here because God put it in the Bible. He's walking among the churches and he has the pastors who are the stars, I'm going to show you that, in his right hand. He's holding on to them. He's got them where he wants them. He explains that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. You say, well do you really mean that the stars are the pastors? Yes, because he explains that the seven stars are the angels of of the churches. Angel is from a a Greek word which means messenger. Each of the seven letters in chapters 2 and 3 of the Revelation are addressed to the angels, that is the messengers, that is the person who's to give the message of God to the church. He's to study the Word, get the Word, rightly divide it, and then tell it to you, not his thinking, but what the Bible says without distortion. That's the pastor's job. And that's who we're talking about here in these uh, seven churches, and the angels are the ones to whom God addresses these seven letters, talking about the pastors of his churches, men who are called to lead and deliver the word of God, his messages to the churches, gives you some idea of the esteem God has for the pastor of your church. Don't you let that soak them on in your life. It is true that respect and trust need to be earned. I know that. And anybody that's studied people very long got to know that you can't just demand respect and get it. It has to be earned. And you can be assured that this book that I'm holding right here called the Holy Bible is just loaded down. I mean full of marching orders for pastors and for elders. I encourage you to later read First. Timothy chapter 3, it's where the qualifications are given for both pastors and deacons in this one place. It's a good passage. God personally, and you'll see it there, holds his pastors and deacons to a standard that far exceeds the standards of ordinary people. Let me assure you that God expects holiness out of every member of every church. Every believer should walk holy lives separated to God. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to your pastor, he's to be a cut above, He's to be holier than that. He's to be in such a position he's without scorn and he's without reproach. Do not somehow imagine that God will deal, uh, not deal quite severely with pastors who don't do their job. I know that's on Brother Darren's mind. It's been on my mind for sixty-something years as a pastor and working this ministry. I know there are some pastors who are corrupt. Some of them are televangelists. Yep. Some of them write books. And I hear some of these things that just make me well, I live out here in Bear Creek just off Queenston and I, I'm often traveling Queenston and when I leave my house and go west or east of ways toward the 90 I go by the church without walls and it's got big signs. It's this huge plant, plant out there and you know, always talking about come by here and you can get church to drive in and all kinds of things going on. And I was just reading the other day who, who, when the pastor uh, you know, got a multi-million dollar lawsuit because he's having sex with somebody's wife. Scandalous stuff. Goes on in the name of God by the men who call themselves preachers and say they're set in church of God. I know there are people who are there. There are preachers who are money hungry. There are some of them who are just flat downright lazy. There's no way to say it any better. They sleep half the morning, stay out, watch TV at night, can't get up, can't take care of business. I mean, there's just preachers, I mean, preachers who 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 love money, who are just always getting in the tail, always somehow. Fat uh, in their own selves, so there are money-hungry, dictatorial, derelict of duty, void of genuine love and concern, preachers. You say, well, what, what should we do about it? i tell you, you can pray that God will deal with it. He will. He may not do it as soon as you see it, as soon as you think it ought to happen. But I'll tell you, it's just a matter of time. Till God's going to flush out that which is right for that which is wrong. But the Bible is so clear that we need to take care of God's men and help him to stay right so he doesn't fall into corruption, doesn't do the things that are wrong. Okay, now you've had sermon number one. (laughs) This is the one about the teaching about uh, this matter of uh, priesthood of every believer. Now I want to get really practical, and I want everybody here to get hold of four ways that you can stand behind your leadership, particularly your pastor. Brother Darren Simpson, in Northwest Baptist Church here in Houston, Texas. And I want you to please keep in mind, for me, this is not theory. My life has been a ministry. Not long ago, I preached a funeral in Lufkin, Texas, out at the cemetery behind the Fairview Baptist Church, which ordained me into the gospel ministry. Wilton Whitehead was the man's name, and I was about from here to the back from my mother and dad's grave, my grandpa and granny's grave over there. I mean, it was an emotional time for me to go back in here This the old church that has ordained me into the ministry and here's my family buried out here. And all the way after the funeral, coming back, I went down by my old home place, the place where I just grew up as a little kid. And I stopped by and took a couple of pictures of the old house up there. And I drove straight on down that country road to an intersection down there with 1818 right goes out here to Dyball, and then south to Houston. And right there at that intersection is the Prairie Grove Baptist Church, that property right on that side right there. And I pulled over there and I took a picture of the church and took a picture of a historical monument sign they put up there talking about how long they've been there. I was 14 when I became pastor of that church. Most everybody thought it was a child fantasy and it would just go away. Well, it hadn't gone away yet. And I praise God that God's letting me spend my my life in the ministry. That's what I've done. That's been my heart. So I want you to know when I'm talking about what a pastor needs, how to help him. I'm not just blowing steam here and talking about theory that I read in somebody's book somewhere who I'm talking about what it's like to be there. So I want to share with you These uh, four things that will help him, and the thing that I put at the top of this list will help him most is knowledge that you're with him and praying for him. I want to say it again. Knowledge that you're with him and you're praying for him, that will be like sick him to a dog. That will be like it's the right thing to do. It puts some strength into a guy. I will tell you it does. The Bible is crystal clear about praying for your church and your church leadership, and especially the pastor. Listen to the Apostle Paul say it. Now I beseech you, brother. I beg you again. He said, brothers, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake that you and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Did you hear that? That you strive together with me in your prayers. That will help me. Paul said that will help me. It was helping him. I will tell you it helps every good godly man of God. He said to this uh, church in Thessalonica, brethren pray for us. That's 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25. He said in the second book of Thessalonians chapter 3 in the first verse, he said finally brethren pray for us you hear that again? It's a common reoccurring theme here. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. I want you to hear this. If you take a note, you ought to write it down. Darren Simpson ought to be on your prayer list, the prayer list of everybody part of this church. You ought to be praying for him. You ought to pray for him every day. You ought to pray for him, especially at certain times. You say, well, what do I need to pray for, preacher? Pray for his spiritual walk. He can never be a better pastor than his walk for God is good. This is not just an external job, this ministry, this pastorate of a church. Let me tell you, it's a calling. I've never seen myself as a church pastor, and I've pastored a long time doing the job. I never saw it as a profession. I understand that with IRS we're professionals, and that's how it's just it's got to have some, but I'm telling you, I always saw it as what God put me to do and it was what I was doing to honor Him. And I want to tell you I learned early on in my ministry you can never teach that which you don't know and you can never walk in front of the people before God like you ought to if you're not walking privately with God. He's got to walk with God in his own soul, in his own spirit. Matthew 15 and verse 14 says if the blind lead the blind they both fall in the ditch. In a sense, praying for your pastor is a little bit loaded. It's a little... It's a little aim for you, too, because when you pray for him, you're praying for you. After all, if you want good leadership, you pray for the man who's giving you good leadership, and you'll have better leadership. And that will influence you in a better way. But If the pastor falls, goodness, the devil would love to take down any and all members of this church. He'd love to get somebody here in the pew on a, in a scandal or in a money scandal or sex scandal or some other kind of scandal. But let me tell you, the devil is no dummy. He knows if he can get Darren Simpson into some scandal, he's going to upset and wreck this whole church. How many times have I seen that? God asked a timeless question of Israel. He said, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? Isn't that a good question? You ought to ask it about you. What do you you suppose the Lord requires of you? What does it require of this church? What does it require of our pastor? What does the Lord thy God require of thee? And the answer is right here. But to fear the Lord thy God, and to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. That's what God says. And he's justifying what walking with God is. Look, look at it again. To fear of the Lord thy God. I have my heart for, her, for the Lord. To walk in his ways, that is, do things every day that would honor him, that are right before him, and to love him, not just put on the dog like you say so, so you do, but to genuinely have a love for God in your heart, and to serve the Lord thy God. Service is our job. This is our business. We're ministers, it's servants of the living God. And with all thy soul, do it. <clears throat> I say, if you want a better pastor, do something that will help them be better, you pray for your pastor. You pray for him as your spiritual leader. Pray that he'll walk with God. That he will be humble. That he will be caring. And listen, these are just not just little nice words. You realize humble is a big word. Not many people ever really very humble. It's Too much pride to base down there to get people really humble before God. But if you want him to be a man of God, pray that he will be humble. <clears throat> Pray that he will be warm. And you can tell that when you come into church, whether he's off-standish and he's not looking and paying attention to you, he's just going somewhere else. I mean, warmth, it's something that you can see. You can feel it around you all the time. Pray that he will keep his eyes on God. <clears throat> Let me tell you, the devil's got plenty of commercials out there. Some are walking around with short skirts and, and, and uh, shorts on right in the middle of the shopping mall or the, the drugstore. Let me tell you, he's out there advertising. Boy, let me tell you, he's out there advertising new cars. He's out there advertising how you could get rich quick. He needs to keep his eyes on the Lord and be strong in the Lord. And you don't get strong because you go to the gym one day a month. You gotta walk with God. You gotta be doing the right things on a day-to-day-to-day basis to be strong with God. Pray that your preacher will be strong in the Lord and that he'll be honest about himself. You talk about something that's hard, honesty with you. It's real easy to look at somebody else and say, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to straighten up. These are the things you need to correct in your life. But to look in that spiritual mirror and say, this is me. This is where I need to straighten up. What most preachers do and most people do, we look in the mirror of God's word and say, boy, that sounds good. And the first time somebody comes along and kicks us in the shins about something we're not doing right, we get bowed up about it. Man, in Humility. Being honest about yourself, being honest about your wife, being honest about your children, being honest about your friendships, being honest about where you spend your money, being honest about what your eyes are seeing, and ever work on being a better man of God. Somebody as well said the biggest room in the whole world is the room for improvement. I'm going to tell you, there's nobody in this room who doesn't have room for improvement. Every man in his best state is altogether vanity. What the Bible says about who we are. And let me tell you, we have a good pastor here, and I thank God every day for him. But I want to tell you, he's got room for improvement. And I hope that he sees that and will see that. And we'll never ever think I've arrived now. My next birthday, if I live that long, will be 83, and I have to tell you, I'm a long way from having arrived, I can tell you, and I don't just say that to be blowing smoke. Man, I can look at me and give you a critique that would curl your hair. He you needs to stand the word. That's what you need to do as a pastor, especially. You have to study to show yourself approved unto God. And he needs to give his all to the Lord. Well, it's easy for us to give some to the Lord. I've said lots of times that good is always the biggest enemy of the best. And especially preachers can be busy in the good work of the Lord. Busy as a being a bucket. I mean just doing things, going to seeing people who are sick, and answering questions, being on the phone half the time, talking to missionaries, talking to other pastors, I mean busy with doing funerals, busy with doing all kinds of stuff while he's neglecting the study of the Word of God. And if there's anything that will undermine a preacher, it's not studying. Because you can't preach that which you don't know. You can only live off somebody else's sermon so long. You've got to do your own work. You've got to get. it has got to be a part of you. I'm talking about praying for this man right here. I'm talking about praying for him, that he'll, he'll walk with God. And what I've been discussing just now is what it means to be walking with God. That's not some ethereal sort of, you know, not clear thing out there. It's very clear what walking with God means. Pray for his personal welfare. His personal welfare. Gosh. He needs protection. You know that? He needs protection. Satan, as I said earlier, he is not an idiot. Satan knows he understands what Jesus meant when he said, smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Jesus said that in Matthew 26, verse 31. It's on your screen here. Listen, I tell you, church, pray that God will protect, put a hedge of protection around Simpson, uh, Darren Simpson and that he will let this shepherd of ours be smitten. They won't let something bad come in that affects and wrecks this entire Northwest Baptist Church. Satan knows that. He would love to ruin Darren. He'd love to kill him. You know what would do to this church if suddenly he got in a car wreck and got killed? Or had a heart attack and got killed? You ever thought of what it would do to you and us, all of us as a church? What if he got seriously injured? I was in a car wreck when I was pastor in the 11th Street Baptist Church in Beaumont. From December the 7th till April the 3rd, I didn't put one foot on the floor. I couldn't get out of bed. I was just broken all to pieces. And then I was in a wheelchair for a long time. I'll tell you, it had an impact on that church. The devil would love to put him in a car wreck. He'd love to have him have a gunshot wound. He'd love to give him a disease. he love to give him a diabetes. He'd love to give him a heart murmur. He'd love to give him a lot of stuff to just slow him down and put him out of the ministry. Oh, would he ever love to get him into a sex scandal? Boy, would he ever. You talk about really stirring things up. Or a money scandal. Because preachers do it. I mean, there's money goes on. We receive offerings and, and he we have a, a safety system here by which it's not in and he knows, but he's not in there counting the money. We got a two by two so that we got two watching. But let me tell you, people embezzle. There are ways to cheat. And Satan's an expert in cheating. And he knows how to teach a preacher, how to, act, how to cheat. And he would love to do that with our pastor. He's always looking for a way to put false doctrine into his head. Let me tell you, Calvinism is infectious. There are hundreds of young preachers these days buying into it, buying into Calvinism. And those who are not are many of them buying into entertainment church. Well, you've got to water down this. You've got to water down your doctrine. You've got to have 15 minutes of preaching, 45 minutes of singing. I mean, they're just All efforts. There's one guy who leads among churches who said out a book, and in it he implies or says basically that in your neighborhood you ought to do a questionnaire, a survey, and find out what people in your neighborhood want, what pleases them in church, and then come back and make your church do those things, come to that. If I know what the Bible teaches, it says we're to honor God, we're to do what God says. Amen. I hope the neighborhood will like it, but they may not. Nobody's ever liked sin very much and being told they're sinners. Yeah. It's an offense. It's called the offense of the cross. And so our, let me tell you, Brother Darren's a young, sharp guy. He knows about the Internet. He knows how to surf. He knows how to do all those things. And there's always things out there to draw him into some new thing. This would really be great. Boy, this is a menu for our church. Boy, the Satan would love to, for him to downplay his doctrine in his church. Satan would love to wreck his marriage. Gosh, him and Melissa to see them break up and where these boys would be and what it would do. It, you say, that's pretty ugly. Let me tell you, Satan's pretty ugly. And he's not just shooting out here at imaginary targets. He's shooting at real people like Darren and Melissa Simpson. Trying to bring something in that is to wreck them. The Bible says to the pastor, he must give a good report of them which are without or must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. First Timothy 3 and verse 7 in those qualifications. The preacher, especially the preacher, needs a good report. It's good for our church, for our pastor to have a good report. When your pastor is not a, a good, sound report, it's hard to get people to come and hear your pastor preach. I'll tell you it is. Brothers and sisters, if you love this church, you pray for protection for our pastor. But I want to also tell you, we need to pray for good health special physical and mental health for him. He needs that. Boy, I was already mentioned about what could happen to the person. He can get a disease. He could get an wreck. Bad things could happen. The Apostle Paul said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me that I should be exalted, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. If Paul, the apostle he was, great amount of gods he was, could be buffeted of the devil with a thorn in the flesh, how much more so do you suppose I could be? Our pastor could be? Surely he's doing that. Pastors are mortal. We're just humans. We have a role. We have a special role that God put us in as ministers of God. But let me tell you, we all get hungry and we get tired. And we get weary. And we suffer from anxiety, and as much as I hate to confess it, we worry about things, we probably more than we should. We just worry about it, especially when somebody's sick in the church, especially if there's a spiritual sickness, there's a little rift in the church, and it looks like there's maybe some people going to leave the church. You talk about getting into your craw and staying there. Yes, we know what it means to be weak and lonely. And we lack the human abilities. I mean, we have some, but we don't have them all. I mean, so we're just mortals. We need to also pray for financial wisdom. Whew. I sell somebody or some people sometimes, they ask me how I'm doing. I say, I'm doing fine and just pray that God will protect me against my wallet and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> if the devil ever found a place he can get into a guy, it's through a woman and his wallet and money. I want to stay right with God. I want our pastor to stay right with God. And I want his financial world to be a good, sound one. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14? Even so hath the Lord, the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live the gospel. God's church should take care of its preacher. We have to give him uh, money. We have to take care. I understand at the same time the pastor is to manage his money well. He's to be a responsible pastor, not just goof it off and want more. He's to take care of himself by right, uh, wisely govern the money he has. But it's not a given that he will do it. A lot of people, and not all of them are pastors, have gotten into trouble over money. I mean, a lot of people are not pastors or anything, but they can't manage their money, and they're always in trouble. Pray for his family. I want to say this just as quickly as I can, but just as deliberately as I can. The Bible is very specific on this particular matter of prayer. It's a qualification for a preacher. This is First First Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. I want you to hear. He's to be one that ruleth well his own house, having his own children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he be able to take care of the church of God? Qualification for the pastor: one that ruleth his own house, takes care of his own family, because the pastor must take care of his family. But he must never let his his balance get out of balance, because he has a family. But he also has a calling for God. He has a calling, a church to take care of. His calling and his ministry are his first responsibility. I've been married to Margaret sixty-one plus years. And I'm going to tell you, I've been a pastor. I was a pastor when she married me. She got into it knowing what she was getting into. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, there's been pressures. We had kids. They had needs. Margaret had needs. There was the church had needs. But I'm going to tell you, there's plenty of balance room to take care of both and do them right. And you won't have to let one get too far ahead of the other because both are important in this great work. There, as I say in my notes right here, there is zero need for competition when it comes to the calling of the church and the pastor of the church and the the family. There's no need for competition because there's plenty of room for ministry and for family. The family is to follow and support him as he leads and follows the Lord. And he should be the undisputed leader of his home. And I want to say to every man here, you are to be the leader of your home. Yes, the wife is there and she's just as important and just as good as you. You're not better than her. But God is the one who puts some responsibility. And he put the guy in first responsibility for the home. And I've had guys that get out of whack with God and in their home get in trouble and say, well, my wife made me do it. I think I heard that from Adam. The wife thou giveth me. That's an old argument and it didn't stand up then. It won't stand up now. God puts the man in charge. You're the husband. You're to be the spiritual leader. And the wife is to follow the husband as he follows the Lord. That's the plan of God. He's the one who figured that out. He should therefore, I say again, be the undisputed leader. No goals or activities of the pastor's family should ever be bigger than his ministry. The efforts of the family should be to support and complement the ministry that the Lord's given their spiritual leader In terms of priority, it should never be the other way around. Always the pastor leading not only the Lord's church but leading his own home and the wife and the children following him as he follows the Lord. I will say one more time that no doubt the family is the number one way to recognize ministry and and consequently wreck a church. The second thing thing that will really help your pastor is for you to support his leadership. I want to just just bring your attention. Listen to this again. Hebrews thirteen verse seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls that they may do that they may give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For this is unprofitable for you. The pastor has a tremendous weight on his shoulders. He's going to have to give an account for you and the church that's under his responsibility. And the condition, behavior in which it is. He's answering to God for that. Thank God not to the IRS, not to the United States government, but thank God he's answering to God for how he takes care of leading the Lord's church. Follow. Support. Stand behind him as he follows the Lord. I will tell you this morning I have tons of firsthand experience. I know how it feels to do your best to lead a church. While there's someone or some group of someones, always bird-dogging. Always just looking for you to make a verbal mistake or a leadership mistake of one sort or another. There are people out there who do that in churches. They constantly sit in judgment and subvert your efforts. They have their own agendas. They question. They stonewall. And I'm going to tell you, it's like a rock, a burden on a heart. The pastor's heart when he's having to deal with that, he knows, and usually they know, you know, they can tell it doesn't take long for that sort of thing to get around. I want to say this, church if there's if this man brings up and starts in a direction that's unscriptural, sit down and talk to him, reason about it. Let's thus saith the word, let's see what the word of God says here. Talk to him and try to work it out. But I want to tell you, divisiveness. And subversion have no place in the church. They have no place in the preacher's house. I want to number three tell you the third way to support him is to support his church. <laughs> we been talking about supporting the pastor. But indirectly, you talk about supporting the pastor. When you support his church, you're supporting him. The church belongs to the Lord. I know it doesn't belong to the pastor, and it doesn't belong to the members. The church belongs to the Lord. Jesus said it, I will build my church Matthew 16 and 18, my church, not our church, we all belong to him. Amen. Before you mess with the Lord's church, before you mess with the leadership of the Lord's church, remember who it belongs to. Yes. You're picking on God's property, that he considers personal property, that he calls my church. It is doubtful that you could ever do anything that would support or encourage your pastor More than help this church grow, build this church, bring people to church, pray for this church, stand with this church, be in unity with this church. Those are the things that bless a preacher's heart. I know it firsthand. For almost 70 years, when the church was healthy, when the church was doing good, we were all on the same page, people getting saved, and the work of God was flourishing. Let me tell you, I was happy as a lark. I guess larks are happy they sing like they are. <laughs> I will tell you that when the church was hurting, I always hurt. Oh, my sakes. Sometimes you talk about getting down in the mouth and sick at heart and hurting deep in my soul. When I saw the church hurt, I was always hurting. It just grieved me, and I couldn't get over it because somebody wanted to take me to lunch or because they gave me a $10 bill or whatever they might do. Oh, listen to me, Folks. Northwest Baptist Church is bigger than Darren Simpson. Amen. It's God's church. And for any decent pastor, the welfare of the church transcends his own welfare. I'll tell you, if you want to make me really, really happy, you do something that will really make Margaret Hudson really, really happy. <laughs> and if Margaret's happy, I'm going to be pretty happy. Amen. But as the old say it is, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right. I want to tell you, if in the church... Things are not good and you're not doing well, the church's not doing well, your pastor's never going to be happy. He may go along, but remember he watches for your soul. I'm going to close, and I know you've been saying, I wish you'd get here sooner, Brother Hudson, but I'm just talking to you about reality today. I want to close by asking you to cut him a little slack. Yep. Help him. Real practical here. Be considerate of your pastor's needs. I think the scripture uh, fits it well when it says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Ephesians 4 and verse 32. I know that's talking to all Christians, but I think it especially applies to the man of God. We consider it to miss time Don't gobble up all the time of your pastor. Keep him on the phone, calling calls, and all kinds of you got requests to him to do this or to do that. Let me tell you, your pastor needs a little space. He's got to have a little time to get with God, and he's got to have a little time to get with his wife. He's got to have a little time to spend with his children. He's got to have a little time to just rest. Yes, be considerate of his time, and don't gobble it up. Be considerate of his needs. Give him time to go to the restroom cry out, right in here. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, we got 15, 20 minutes between Sunday school and church, and I find it hard to get to the restroom because it's just, you know, just can't do it. And I've, I've seen guys, I've done it time and again, stand up and preach a sermon, especially in a seminar type where you got a break between sessions, you know, and everybody else is going to have a restroom break, and then instead of everybody going to the restroom, they gather around the preacher, and he. You know, he has needs too. They're real needs. And it's amazing to me how after a sermon, you pour out your heart to God and just drain, and especially as you get older, and it's time to go, there's people who gather around and the preacher's the last one to leave. And if you don't just stand back happy about it, well, he don't want to talk to me, you get the word, well, he's a... Just consideration. Ordinary considerate activity, treating him like a human, giving him a little space, giving him a little time to take care of rest needs. And I will say one thing more. I don't know what just happened here. He never told me. I cannot tell you how many times, not only here, Berean Baptist Church, 11th Street Baptist Church, places where I've been in my life, pastor churches. It's time for church to start. It's already, the singing's already going, and I'm walking the aisle coming in to preach somebody stops me in the aisle and wants to give me a big long gripe. I don't like this. You need to straighten this out. And you didn't do this. And you didn't do that. And if you got a gripe, be careful. But don't get him just before he's going to preach the word of God. I think just thinking about it and taking care of your pastor and, and giving him the right space and time will help a lot. The pastor is a man of God, but he's also mortal. Like I said, he gets hungry and he gets tired he won't always be in the best of moods. As sure as he's mortal, he will make mistakes. Cut him some slack. Don't get all over his case because he forgot something. I I learned a ways back. I carry around a little book. And in this little book, I always carry extra paper. And I realize I have to start writing down while five people are trying to tell me something. I need to write it down because otherwise I forget Could I've forgotten Thank God I've never forgotten a funeral just yet. (laughs) I hope I never do. But you know we're mortal. And just understand your pastor's going to forget some things. He may forget your best buddy's name. He he may forget your name. Don't cut him down. Give him some space. Give him some forgiveness. He won't do everything he promised. And I'm going to tell you another thing. He'll preach a few duds. Don't anybody say anything. I will ask you this, have you ever heard a dud sermon? Now don't lie to me, <laughs> you say, yeah, preacher, Rob, am not going to hold up my hand? Yeah, you heard some sermons that just didn't make it. They just didn't cut mustard, did they? I mean, it just didn't get there. I've heard my fair. I've not just heard them, I heard them from Lester Hudson. Way more than I'd like to admit, but they're just going to happen. Sometimes it just happens. He'll make some bad decisions. Sometimes he may bring in a speaker here that's not real good. Just doesn't do the best job. He may even go to sleep at the will of the ministry. But we have to realize he's the man that God put here to lead us. And we have to stand with him. We have to encourage him. And one of those parts is praying for him. Another part is building his church. And another part just giving him some slack. When I was first in the ministry, I was at the 11th Street Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas. I I'd pastored two small country churches up in East Texas, but they were all, I was still going to school, just a kid going to school and doing that stuff. But I went down to Beaumont in 1963. Well, actually 1964. And I became the pastor of that church, and they were just barely able to support me in a financial way and Margaret full-time. We had Mark just about a month and a half after we got there. So, I mean, it was a big struggle. They were needing help, about 50, 60 people at first, and we, Lord bless. I'm telling you, they gave me some slack. You talk about some duds. I preach some sermons that I'm ashamed of. I've got them in some notes in my house that I just want to throw them sometimes and burn them. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not happy about. It. I, I remind myself of a German Shepherd pup about a year old. You know how they grow up, got long legs and got a real long tail, and and, and they start when they tail rolls, their whole back end just gives this clumsy. They get over that in time, but they're not at first. I felt like that as my first church where I'm actually full time in the ministry. I'm grown enough now to realize what its needs are and my sakes. I didn't sometimes know what to do and I didn't do everything I should have the right way. I forgot some things. I, I made some decisions and led us in some directions that proved before. For 12 years, the people at the 11th Street Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas, gave me some slack. They, they bore with me. They'd help me get up. They didn't just throw me away or just kick me in the sides and beat on me till I couldn't get up. They let me grow with them. We grew together. They made some mistakes and I made some mistakes. And I thank God. It was like a school for me in some ways. But I had to have a people who would let me grow up, who would let me learn some things. And do what I ought to do in time because it didn't all happen at just once. Thank God for our pastor. God sent him here, and I see him growing. I see him still. We got to stand behind him. We got to cut him to slack. We got to pray for him. These four things pray for him, support him as he leads the Lord's church, stand for the church and help it grow, and cut him some slack. We're going to stand together. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to have an invitation. I think it would be a good thing today if all our pastors stands here at the front. You just came by and said, preacher, I'll stand with you. I'm on your team. I want to be a help. I want to see this church grow. I want to see you grow. I want this this thing to be like God planned it to be when he wrote the Bible. Amen. Somebody said even an old puppy likes a pat on the back every now and then. <laughs> I think a preacher needs to hear every now and then a few encouraging words. Yeah. Wait. I'm with you. Just know it. Father, thank you today for this opportunity to preach and share this stand with your leadership sermon. I pray that it's practical and it's helped these people in this room. And those who need to come now would come. I realize there may be some people here who've never trusted Christ, never trusted him as their Savior. They could do that today. I'm going to be around here, and there are some others around here who would be more than happy to sit down with them in a proper time and just explain what it means to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Lord, have your will and way, and grow this church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.